0: I had any sense at all on this uh, child dedication morning and Advent and children's choir, I would have skipped the text today and gone on to the next one that talks about Jesus blessing little children. I didn't. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, there were about 814,000 divorces in the U.S., in 2014, which are the latest numbers available, the 2015 numbers will become available, I think, this month. But that only covers the states which count divorces. Apparently, five states do not, including California. I understand California cannot count that high. <laughs> that means that our country averages about a million divorces per year, one of the highest divorce Rates in the world, which means every year about a million families are affected by divorce, as about two million adults go through the deep emotional tr- trauma of marital disillusion. Here are a few another uh, more mind-boggling numbers for you in terms of r- raw. 2014 numbers: about seven percent of the population got married, and a little over three percent got divorced. I suppose that's how they come up with the off-sided 50 percent failure rate. That is, half of marriages end in divorce. Now, you should know that statisticians argue about that about that number. As I read through several websites, the numbers seem to range somewhere between 30 and. Several things, however, as I read those pages, were clear. First, the divorce rate goes higher with successive marriages. I guess that's because it gets easier the second time and so on. Next, quite interestingly, 80% of all divorces list irreconcilable differences as the contributing factor for breakup. And third, most alarming, according to George Barna, Christian pollster, the numbers inside and outside the evangelical church are basically the same. Mind numbing statistics. Again, as I read page after page of stats on the web, I got confused which one do you believe? But the truth is, we're not really interested in raw numbers. The question we have is not how many, but who? Who gets divorced? And not only who, but but why? Why do people get divorced? Now, the experts tell us there are usually one or more of four factors contributing to divorce. The first is unhappiness, which usually sounds something like, we don't get along, he doesn't talk to me, she talks too much. I'm not content in the relationship, I don't love him, I don't love her anymore. Second factor is financial stress, said to contribute to almost 80% of all marital breakups. The third factor is, sadly, infidelity. And the fourth is abuse, verbal, emotional, physical, some kind of abuse, who gets divorced? Why do they get divorced? Those, you see, are our questions. Not only that, f- for us, you know, what about Christians? When is it okay for Christians to divorce? What about Jack and Sally, Ralph and Susie? I know their situations. Sh- should they divorce? I mean, is it Okay, well, let's bring it a little closer to home. What about my marriage? W- will it make it? And, and that's not really the question for some of you. You're, you're way past that. I don't want to make it anymore. It's too much work. It, it, it's too painful. Most days, I don't like my wife. I don't. Like my husband, for some of you, those days have stretched into months or, or even years, and so this is what you want to know. Is it okay, Pastor, tell me, is it okay if I leave him, if I leave her? It, it, it may be those factors are putting tremendous stress on your marriage right now. They're contributing to your discontent. You feel perhaps like you can hardly get out of bed in the morning. You're a Christian. You, know, you don't want to be a statistic, so you're keeping it together. But if, if it wasn't for what people would say, if, if you were like everybody else, if it wasn't for the kids, you'd get divorced right now because... You're unhappy. Oh, you you put on a happy face, especially on Sunday morning. (laughs) Few, if anyone, know your misery. You have the, you've kept the little piece of paper that says you're married. You said the words, till death do us part. You have no idea what my life is like. So so again, my only question is, can I bail? Or, Or do I Have to stay in this institution called marriage, which feels just like an institution, a marital prison. Can I call it quits? Mark chapter 10, in our continuing study of this gospel. Now, disclaimer, you know we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, which means I did not select this text on the fourth Sunday of Advent when we lit the love candle. (laughs) I thought about walking over and blowing it out. (laughs) But realized among the chuckles how painful that would be for some of you, divorced or in loveless, teetering marriages. Now, the temptation today will be to think something like, I hope so and so is here, as you look around quickly, thinking maybe I can call them and get them here in time for the third service. I hope he, I hope she is listening. I want to encourage us to listen for ourselves because this morning we're going to see what Jesus says about divorce, more marriage. Regardless of what the real stats are, divorce is a problem even in the church of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 and following say this. Getting up, he, Jesus, went from there, Capernaum, to the region of Judea. And beyond the Jordan, the east side, crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. My question. And he answered and said to them, Well, 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 what did Moses command you? That's my question. What's the Bible say? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And, And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. And he finally answers their question, what therefore God has joined together, let man, no man separate. It's challenging. So in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. They even asked him in Matthew, well, it'd be better than not to get married. And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now, this is fun. Jesus has just finished his almost three-year ministry in Galilee, begun telling his disciples the time for his departure is close at hand. it has got to go to Jerusalem, hand it over, suffer, put to death, rise again the third day. Having finished then his Galilean ministry, Jesus with his disciples make their way south from Galilee toward Judea and Faithful Jerusalem. At this point, for whatever reason, they cross the Jordan. They're on the east side now in Perea. That will become important in just a moment. Large crowds continue to follow. He continues to teach. As is typical, Mark does not tell us what he was teaching, but at this point, we read some Pharisees came to Jesus to ask a question. Now, 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 please notice, it it wasn't a legitimate question. They didn't really want to know uh, the answer. They didn't care about the answer. They were simply trying to test him, to trap him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's, That's the answer. That's the question we all want to know the answer to. Can I? Can I get out? Well, how would that particular question trap Jesus? At least in two ways. First, they were in Perea, as I just mentioned, and the ruler of Perea is a tetrarch named Herod Antipas. Does that name ring a bell? It was Herod Antipas who seduced Herodias, his sister-in-law, who had been married to Antipas's brother, Philip I, she divorced him to marry his brother, Antipas. So in Mark 6, someone had the audacity to confront Antipas about his marriage to Herodias. He called it for what it was. It was unlawful for Antipas to have his brother, Philip's wife. You remember that somebody was John the Baptist, and it cost John his head. You remember the story. John was arrested by Antipas, thrown into prison right there in Perea. Kept him for a while until one fateful night, Antipas, Antipas threw a drunken party during the party. His stepdaughter, Salome, which, by the way, was also his niece. This whole thing is a sordid affair. Herodias' his daughter, from, from her marriage to Philip, she comes in and dances seductively for the men, it pleased stepdad Uncle Antipas. And so in his drunken stupor, he promised her anything she wanted up to half his kingdom. So she runs to mom. What should I ask for? It's like Christmas. What would any teenage girl ask for? Makeup, new clothes, maybe keys to the chariot? Why, of course, John the Baptist head on a platter. And so John was executed ultimately for speaking out against an unlawful divorce, and remarriage right there in Perea. The Pharisees, you see, they knew all of this, and they knew Jesus' position on divorce. He had told them back in his first full-length recorded sermon called the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapter 5, you divorce your wife and marry another, you cause her to commit adultery, and you commit adultery, so maybe they're thinking we could trap him, maybe we could get him to speak against divorce, get him beheaded like John, and we would be rid of this Jesus problem. Second reason this question would have been a trap was because of what the Pharisees knew was the cultural situation of the day, what they themselves taught, and what uh, what the, the crowds believed. You see, there was this general disagreement between two groups of Pharisees at this time. The Shammai Pharisees had a rather strict view of divorce and taught that it was only permissible in the case of adultery. The the Hillel Pharisees, however, with whom the crowd sided, taught that you could divorce your wife for just about anything. I mean, their understanding of divorce, both of them, was based on a faulty interpretation and understanding of Deuteronomy chapter 24. There we read, a man could divorce his wife if he found some indecency in her, whatever that was. So while Deuteronomy doesn't specify what some indecency was, the Hillel Pharisees decided they knew. They had a whole list of indecencies which would qualify for divorce. Incidentally, it was only permissible for a man to divorce his wife, certainly not the other way around. But some of the reasons that they had written out were these. If she messed up your meal. If she puts too much salt on it, if she burns it, you could divorce her. That, after all, is indecent. Listen to this one. Some indecency was eventually interpreted to mean if you were looking around one day and saw someone you thought was prettier than your wife, well, then, of course, your wife becomes indecent. Then you can divorce her. Then you're free to go and uh, after the someone prettier. Sounds a lot like today. They actually had that written down. Here's some more. If she talked to a man in public, divorce. If she spun around in the marketplace with a dress uh, raised above her knees, that's exposure, divorce. If she let down her hair in public, divorce. Um, If she was infertile, that is she didn't bear children, you could divorce her. If she had children but didn't give you a son, you know, like it was her fault, shows how much they knew, you could divorce her. What if it came, uh, what it all came down to was this, no fault divorce. (laughs) Sound familiar? Just about any these were religious people, by the way. Just about any reason you could come up with was fine. Not only that, Moses commanded divorce. If she was displeasing to you anyway, you you had to send her away. You had to divorce her. Just make sure you give her a certificate of divorce. Make sure that you do it right. Been doing this a long time. I cannot tell you how many couples have come to see me after they've gone to see everybody else. They're on The last person they're going to see is the divorce lawyer, but they come to see me just to make sure they do it right. So you could say that the Hillel school allowed for no-fault divorce. You don't like her anymore, Guess, just get rid of her. So what do you think? Jesus, there's these two schools, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? What do you think about no-fault divorce? By getting Jesus to answer, they thought they could incite him to alienate the crowd, his following, or even better, incite Antipas to kill him. This was an amazing setup. This brings us to the heart of what I want to talk about and actually what Jesus wanted to talk about. This morning, please notice it is fascinating when asked about divorce. Jesus answers by talking about marriage. D- <clears> did you notice that? He turns the table on the, re- the religious understanding of the day and says, You guys don't get it. Of course, they didn't get anything. You're worried about when you can get a divorce. You don't even understand marriage. That's the place to start. Let's not talk about divorce, let's talk about marriage. That's what I'm going to do. You see, there are four things that Jesus says about marriage that I want us to get this morning. And I want to encourage us to talk about with our spouses. Verse 6, marriage is to be an exclusive relationship. Verse 7, marriage is to be a primary relationship. Verse 8, marriage is to be a committed relationship. Verse 9, finally, he, he, he answers their question, marriage is to be a permanent relationship. Relationship, but please notice he does so by talking about marriage. So, what do you think, Jesus? Can we get a divorce? How does Jesus answer? What did, Matt, what did Moses command you? He answers their question with a question, giving them just enough rope to hang themselves. They quoted again, but misapplied what Moses said. He told us divorce was permissible. We just got to make sure that we do it right. That's our question, right? I can get divorced, right, pastor? Just tell me how to do it right. Find the right loophole. To which Jesus responds, not exactly. Moses allowed the practice because of the hardness of your hearts. You have to understand that divorce was never part of God's original plan. And from there, Jesus goes on to talk about not divorce, but marriage. His first po- The first point he makes is marriage is meant to be an exclusive relationship. Notice he starts by quoting Genesis chapter 1. From the beginning of creation, he made them male and female. Male and female are in the emphatic. From the beginning, God created them male and And He created them female. He did that on purpose. The idea is one man, one woman, no options, no spares, no alternatives. Not Adam and Eve and George, just in case Adam was a jerk. He could have done that. He didn't. Think about it. If you lived in the garden, just the two of you, you would never think about divorce. Why? Because there's nobody else. He is to be your Prince Charming. She is to be your Prince. has got to be no one else. The problem we have today is too many choices. And so if it doesn't work out, in fact, many enter the marriage relationship thinking, if it doesn't work out, I'll get out and find another plenty of fish in the sea. But the point that Jesus is making is think of yourselves as in the garden, one man, one woman. There are no other options, not for followers of Jesus, you see. First principle for marriage is exclusivity. One man, one woman, emphatic, no one else allowed in the relationship. By the way, please notice, I have to say this, particularly in our culture today, particularly in the way that the church is abandoning the truth of Scripture. It is one man and one woman. This, you see, is the biblical definition of marriage. This is why the church is, the, the the evangelical Bible believing church is so committed to a definition of marriage that is one man, one woman. So when our society wants to redefine marriage as between two men or two women, that is not marriage, and that was not part of God's original plan. But just having a man and a woman does not necessarily make a biblical marriage either. As I said earlier, some of you are cohabitating You even have the little piece of paper that says you're married, but there is no marriage. You know what I mean. You live in the same house. There's no relationship. You ignore each other. You might even hate each other, but you're married, not with a biblical marriage, because there are other principles, you see, that make a man and woman coming together a biblical marriage. You see, the second principle is found in verse 7. Jesus says the marriage relationship is to be the primary relationship. Let this sink in. The marriage relationship is to be the primary relationship, not your kids. Not your parents, not your best friend, not your hobbies, not your job, not your health. Speaking of the man... We read that he is to leave his father and mother. in the typical marriage vows, we read these words: "Forsaking all others for her alone, I will faithfully perform all the duties which a wife owes to a husband so long uh, owes to a wife, so long as we both shall live." This forsaking all others doesn't mean just other women, although it includes that. It means forsaking mother and father and any other relationship to which you are cleaving. It means cutting the apron strings and becoming a husband and a father. It's very interesting to me that he says this to Adam. The same issue is to be true of the wife. Her husband is to be the primary relationship. The bond between husband and wife can have no rivals. There is a departure from your old family and your old way of life to become committed to your new family, your new wife, and your new way of life. Dependence on father and mother is replaced by a new mutual dependence on one another. If you, are seeking, if you seek your primary human companionship outside of your marriage relationship, you are looking in the wrong place. Some of you have allowed your other relationships at work, your friends, your children, or even the church to be your primary source of companionship, and this morning... You need to look at your spouse and say, you are the one God gave me. I need you. I am thankful God gave you to me. You are first in my life. So the last time you said that to your spouse. When's the last time they felt that? First principle, exclusivity. Second principle, primacy. Third principle is found in verse 8. And the two shall become one flesh, no longer two but one flesh. The principle is this. The marriage is to be a committed relationship. Please notice uh, he is building to, to the answer that they're waiting for. Now in Matthew's account, when Jesus quotes Genesis, he says that the man will leave his parents and be joined to or cleaved to his wife. The word joined or cleaved speaks of clinging to, adhering to, of being bound to, of sticking to. Many of you say, that's exactly how I feel. I feel stuck In my marriage, the idea is that there is an insoluble bond between you. You stick together through thick and thin. Again, the marriage vows say it like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You are stuck and joyfully so. You are joined, you are bound to each other such that there is one Flesh, the two become one flesh. Speaking consummately of the sexual union, there is also a sense in which the husband and the wife become one in purpose, united in thought and mind through the power and grace and presence of the Holy Spirit. While you remain individuals, there is a sense in which as a married couple you become one, and please understand, one is indivisible. That's his point. You can't divide one. Which leads to the last principle. The marriage is to be a permanent relationship. Jesus finally answers the question. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, the two shall become one flesh, and they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, remember, Jesus was saying these things in response uh, to the question of the Pharisees. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus finally answers them. Verse 9, is it lawful? Verse 9, no. Now, many are quick to point out, many of my commentaries did. I want to point out that Jesus and Paul, in other places... Give biblical grounds for divorce, namely infidelity or abandonment because of your faith. But right here in Mark, which just happens to be where we are, Jesus does not go there. He's not talking, you see, about divorce. He's talking about marriage. And the original design, what God intended, the creation order is this. What God has joined together, let no man separate. You say, well. Wait, wait a minute. God didn't put this marriage together. I did. I asked. She said, yes, we did it. We got married. In fact, never really even prayed about it. Maybe that's the problem. I, it never really was God's will for me to get married in the first place. Nice try. How is it that God puts marriages together? Does he have one man and one woman in mind. You know, Jack is supposed to marry Sally and Ralph is supposed to marry Susie and, and, and no one else. Well, what happens if Jack marries the wrong person? What happens if he marries Susie? Then what's Ralph supposed to do? Jack married his wife. Is that it? No. Everything is hopelessly messed up. Who knows who I uh, was really supposed to marry? No wonder I'm unhappy. Jack's married to my wife. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is when you get married, when you say, I do, you are committing, listen carefully, you are committing to the most significant human relationship on earth. In fact, it is the relationship that God designed at creation before anything else. Marriage was his idea. And when you said yes to one another, whether you realized it or not, God brought you together because he designed marriage. And, when you, and so when you said yes, you have God's blessing, and you better not dissolve his plan. It's his plan. Literally, Jesus is saying this. To get a divorce is to separate what God has joined. And therefore, rebellion against God himself. I cannot say this strongly enough. Another way to say it is this. Marriage is God's idea. Divorce is man's idea. Simply, it is, not, it is not God's will for you to, to get a divorce. You can stop asking that question. It's your will, a rebellious will against the plan and mind of God. And I know that at this point, many of you are wanting me to bring in the exceptions. You're you're wanting, you see, the same question answered that the Pharisees had. Is it lawful under certain circumstances to divorce? But here, Jesus does not talk about divorce. He's talking about marriage. So instead of trying to figure out how you can do it right, why don't you just decide to stay married? So let's look at those last two difficult verses when Jesus is alone in the house with the disciples. Jesus said to them, uh, Here's why you don't get divorced. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Mic drop. Now, I've, I've heard people say, it's okay if I get divorced. The problem is not divorce, it's getting remarried. As long as I don't want to marry someone else, as long as I stay single, it's fine. In fact, I don't want to marry someone else. Why would I make the same mistake twice? That is not what Jesus says. I don't know how he can make it any plainer. What God has joined together, let no one separate. It is to be a permanent union for life, period. Even if you... Crossed your fingers when you said, till death do us part. In fact, notice a couple things about these verses first. It's quite significant. Whoever divorces his wife, whoever breaks the covenantal union designed by God and marries another commits adultery against her. Who is the her? It's his first wife. He is committing adultery against his first wife, the one he divorced. This is quite significant. You see, the rabbis at this time taught that if a man committed adultery, well, it wasn't against his wife. It may be against the husband of the woman that he's having adultery with. It may be against her parents, but not her. Jesus here elevates women by this simple statement, making women equal to men. If you commit adultery, men, you are sinning against her, in addition to your rebellion against God. Reading one commentary, the pastor said he was talking to someone who actually said, actually had the audacity to say, well, you know what? Divorce is actually best for both of us. If you've ever had that thought, that is patently false. Not only that, if she divorces you and marries another, she is also committing adultery, sinning against you. A woman divorcing a man at this point, Time in history was quite unusual, but not unknown. Do that, marry another, you commit adultery as well. But, but 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 what if? What if she committed adultery f- first? What if he committed adultery first? Right? Everybody wants to know the loopholes. But when Jesus was asked about divorce, he talked about marriage. You want to talk about divorce? let's see what my father said about marriage it is to be an exclusive primary committed permanent relationship and so you're stuck but it's a good place some of you need to look at your wife you need to look at your husband and you you need to say i am sorry i have been cleaving to someone to something other than you I have not appreciated you. I have not valued you. I have not submitted to the God ordained understanding of the marriage relationship. But by the grace of God, I am going to become the husband. I'm going to become the wife that God wants me to be. I am glad to be stuck with you. And the next time an argument comes up, and it will, by the way, you need to say, let's not talk about divorce. Let's do what Jesus did and talk about marriage take divorce off the table it's not an option finally and we are we're out of time but what do you do this morning if you find yourself divorced and perhaps remarried Uh, let me offer several pastoral thoughts as we close I know that some of you have been married, divorced, and remarried, and it is not my intent to beat you up with the Scripture today, but I must faithfully declare its truth. There's really not any wiggle room here. Yes, I believe that there are possible exceptions, infidelity, abandonment because of your faith, but even then, listen very carefully, I do not think we, those excuses should be used as marital get-out-of-jail-free cards. And so I would say the following four things. First, if you are not married, enter the covenant of marriage very carefully and seriously. It is God's design that it be a life-lasting covenant. Understand that when you say, till death do us part, you mean it. If and when you get married, divorce is not an option. Second, if you are married, God intends for you to stay that way. Decide right now. While our society allows for divorce today for any and every reason, that is not an option for followers of Jesus. Whatever difficulties you may be facing, it is God's intent that you work through the the challenges uh, to resolution, to remain married and to bring Him glory and yourselves joy in the process. I want to graciously and gently but firmly remind you of the words of God Himself in Malachi chapter 2 when he says I hate divorce third if you have been divorced i would encourage without biblical grounds i would encourage strongly encourage you to be reconciled to your spouse or to remain single i know that makes me very popular You need to understand, according to this passage, without biblical grounds for divorce, if you, uh, if you have been, I mean, uh, without biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage, you will be committing adultery by being married to another. And finally, if you have been divorced and remarried without biblical grounds, God's grace is sufficient forgive. Let me make this perfectly clear. Some of you sitting in this room have been divorced and remarried, and your first marriage was dissolved for some very painful reasons. I'm sorry, but they were not biblical reasons, and you wonder, am I now committing adultery? The answer may be no. If you recognized and confessed your sin for leaving your first spouse, dissolving the one flesh union that God created, and for remarrying without biblical grounds. If you have found repentance, then all is forgiven. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are remarried, remain as you are. God can forgive. In fact, I would suggest that He wants to forgive you. Divorce and remarriage is not the end of the line. God's grace and healing and forgiveness is enough. Stand for prayer. Father, this is a particularly difficult passage. Um, the, the, the The truth is, it's. It's probably hard-hitting for all of us because even those of us who have been married have probably talked about the D word before. But Father, would you help us as a, as a church family to remain faithfully committed uh, to the relationships that, that we have, finding forgiveness where forgiveness is necessary, recommitting where that is needed, And finding the joy that you intend, bringing you glory in the process, we pray in Jesus' name.